it's time to sip coffee and talk pharmacy. Happy New Year, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of Pharmacy and Coffee. To our returning listeners, thank you so much for your continuing support. If you're new to this channel, this is a pharmacy-based podcast where we, the pharmacists, discuss a variety of topics from which we hope to educate, motivate, and inspire, and as well as move our profession forward. I'm your co-host, Dr. Farouz Shiraz, and with me are my co-host, Dr. Monique Terrio and Dr. Tiskia Hassan. Hello. Hi. Hello. And as always, we are a group of Canadian community pharmacists located in different parts of BC, bringing you a cup of knowledge. Now, I want to give a quick shout out to Acacia Cat, who will be starting her uh, career in pharmacy technician. She's going to be starting school pretty soon. So good luck. Okay. In today's episode, we'll be discussing public health. As we all know, for almost a year now, it seems that we've been hearing something about public health or public health officers, and it's always COVID-19 related. When I hear the word public health, the first thing I think of is Dr. Bonnie Henry. For our listeners outside of our province who aren't familiar with this icon, Dr. Bonnie is this province's health officer. She's a specialist in public health and preventative medicine, and has been our tireless voice of reason for the past year. Her name... COVID-19 and public health all go hand in hand. So what is public health and why is it important enough to get an episode on our podcast? Okay, to answer those questions, let's take a moment. Let's close our eyes and imagine that we're transported back in time to mid-19th century England during the Industrial Revolution. At this time, public health is not a practice. For every 10 children born, only three of them make it to the age 25. So that's a 70% mortality rate. Poor hygiene, poor living conditions, lack of sanitization, unsafe working conditions, cholera, smallpox, and so on have created a high death rate. Now, open your eyes. We are back to our present time. The death rate in developed countries have significantly reduced. The average life expectancy is 80 plus years. Since the year 1800 in Canada, the life expectancy has doubled from below 40s to all the way up to 82. But how? How could this be? Well, that's the power of public health. Now, public health is a very broad field, and it can be confusing to really understand what public health means. Back in 1920, public health expert Charles Edward A. Winslow came up with a very thorough definition of public health, but we'll go over that in more detail. So he defined public health as, and get ready for this, the science <laughs> and the art of preventing disease, prolonging life, and promoting physical health and efficiency through organized community efforts for the sanitation of the environment, the control of community infections, the education of the individual in the principles of personal hygiene, the organization of medical and nursing services for the early diagnosis and preventive treatment of disease, I'm not done, and the development of the social machinery, which will ensure to every individual in the community a standard of living adequate for the maintenance of health. Yeah. That actually sounds, yeah, that sounds like a run-on sentence to me. Yeah, he must have been really good in public health, but I feel like he probably didn't do too well on essays. <laughs> Whoops. 
<laughs> but yeah, that was pretty comprehensive, I know. But overall, basically, public health protects and promotes the health and well-being of everyone. Now, before we go any further, let's clarify something. The term public health is often confused with publicly funded and administered healthcare systems. Yes, Canada has a publicly funded healthcare system, which means that our overall healthcare system is funded by taxpayer dollars. That's us. That is us. Public health shares the same overall goals as public health care, reducing premature death and minimizing the effects of disease, disability, and injury. While the existing healthcare system focuses on treating patients with illness, public health focuses on preventing the illness. That is how the two differ. So let's say a person at work breaks their leg. Healthcare workers would be concerned with the person's leg, treating them, and resetting the limb. They are concerned with the here and now. On the other hand, public health would be more concerned as to why the leg was broken to begin with. Why did this happen? What type of working environment was the patient working in? What could have prevented this whole situation from happening in the first place? What can be changed to prevent others from being hurt in a similar manner? So public health care is a rather comprehensive topic, and we wanted to look into how it kind of first started in our country. And what was, in particular, what was the first coordinated effort that was put together by our government? Uh, so there is a freely available ebook on the Canadian Public Health Association's website, and it details the history of public health in Canada. It starts with European immigration in the 1600s and touches on how this had an adverse effect on the health, social, and economic conditions of the Indigenous people of Canada. As the fur trade drove European expansion across North America, uh, so too did smallpox, measles, tuberculosis, and alcohol spread as well. Initial public health efforts were slow, if inexistent. Uh, considering all the diseases that were being spread by these immigrants, it actually took the threat of the Black Plague to establish any sort of quarantine act. Um, that became official in 1795 with the Quarantine Act of Lower Canada. Yeah, so it, like it took almost 200 years for any kind of quarantine act to come into effect. Like even even at this point, the the quarantine act was more reactive and the, rather than proactive, and it actually had to be routinely renewed as it kept lapsing. Yo, that sounds disorganized. Very. <laughs> so bringing us up to the 1830s, uh, we got another pandemic to deal with, and that's cholera. Cholera pandemics were just sweeping across Europe. Uh, so in response at this time, local boards of public health were actually set up in Quebec, and the quarantine efforts were stepped up. Uh, immigrants were brought to uh, Grosil, which is located 50 kilometers from Quebec City, uh, where they were detained, inspected, and I love this word, cleansed. Ooh. <laughs> yeah. What does uh, that mean? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> uh, considering what we knew of cholera at the time, how crowded this detainment center soon became and the lack of safe waste removal the water around the island became infected and cholera is a waterborne disease so this disease was spread to both quebec city and montreal and that year alone quebec city lost 10 percent of its population and montreal actually lost 15 percent oh wow huge yeah. numbers yeah 
so it's, it's not exactly a, a success story for Canada. Um, definite learning curve to this whole public health thing. Uh, the online book is quite long. It's almost 200 pages. It goes into quite detail. Uh, and I highly recommend taking a look at uh, the website. Uh, it's an interesting read how Canada responded to different health crises through time, the lessons they learned from each, and how our complex system came to be. Yeah, that you know that's very important let's not uh, repeat history especially at this time right so yeah thanks so much for uh going into the history of uh, about that monique so now i guess we can kind of talk a little bit about how canada might have learned from the history and look into some current public health initiatives that we have so presently in countries like Canada, where public health workers look after issues on a regular basis, we don't have to think about many things. This can, I think, lead us to take our basic standards of living for granted sometimes. Whereas in parts of the world with no public health bodies, people have to constantly worry about the same things the rest of us can be oblivious to. So some examples of these public health initiatives include, one, ensuring people have access to safe drinking water, food, and air. For example, we don't often worry about whether our water is safe because public health is already requiring that protocols be in place to ensure so. When something is wrong with our water supply, it gets immediately dealt with because the water supply is being constantly surveilled. Then we also um, have things like developing and delivering province-wide vaccination programs. So as we've discussed earlier, once upon a time, the mortality rate was really high because people died of many diseases. However, with the development of vaccines, we have been able to significantly increase life expectancy. Public health has been crucial in developing provincial and federal programs for vaccinating people from birth going onwards. In doing so, we have managed to virtually eradicate many diseases that once ravaged our societies. For example, smallpox used to be a serious contagious disease that claimed many lives. However, it has now been eradicated. Another example of a once terrorizing disease is polio. Most of the world hasn't seen any cases of polio in decades. However, the virus does still exist in certain pockets of Africa and Asia where immunization is very challenging. There's definitely a lot of benefits that we now reap from vaccinations. It's not obvious in the current state of society, and I think we're lucky and shouldn't take those things for granted. Another public health initiative is the reporting on the health of British Columbians here specifically and preventing and managing outbreaks of disease. So in the background, there are always people, like at the BC CDC, who track the numbers and rates of cases, deaths, and other things of different diseases. For example, flu, measles, pertussis, syphilis, even leprosy. It's because people are keeping track of these rates that we are informed when and where there are outbreaks and how we can quickly take the necessary steps to handle them. This information can then be used to make more informed plans for the future. Another initiative is encouraging people to use healthy behaviors and create supportive environments in order to prevent chronic diseases and injuries. For example, we make sure children get adequate physical activity during breaks and phys ed classes up until a certain age. Physical exercise is made mandatory because we know that a sedentary lifestyle often leads to chronic conditions such as hyperlipidemia, hypertension, and diabetes. 
hand washing and good hygiene are widely taught as well to prevent diseases. Another big point of public health is education. Many public health initiatives are integrated into the public schooling curriculum. So think about smoking awareness, sex ed, recycling, and healthy eating. Mm -hmm. My parents also learned about seatbelt safety. Oh, that's a good one. Yeah, that we also don't think about. So this was hopefully a good reminder of the numerous ways that public health initiatives are constantly ongoing and have significantly improved our health. Uh, So considering how much we've been hearing about public health these days, uh, you may be wondering if this career path could be right for you. And so how exactly does one get a career in public health? There are multiple ways uh, to getting a career in public health. Um, As mentioned earlier, there is a bit of overlap in the work of individuals working in healthcare and the broad field of public health. And actually, a lot of the public health workforce is made up of nurses. Uh, In terms of specialized post-secondary schooling, there are specific bachelor's, master's, doctoral degrees available. And uh, lastly, thinking back on Dr. Bonnie Henry, Physicians can become specialists in public health and preventative medicine. This does require a residency, though. And hopefully less run-on sentences. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So now that we know the definition of public health um, and we have gone through a little bit of history and kind of explained why public health is really important, what do we, the pharmacists, do to promote public health? Well, first, let me clarify the role of a pharmacist. A pharmacist is not someone that just counts your pills and slaps a label on a vial for you. We are not your insurance worker. We are not salespeople. What we are is your medication expert. We are the most accessible healthcare professional ever, period. And to promote the public health, we can do the following. So. First of all, we counsel our patient on the medications. So this can be new medications that was prescribed to them, refills, or even comprehensive medication review of all their medications that they're taking. So this is basically where we provide information on the medication, uh, how to take it, what common and rare side effects to watch out for, and what to do if they're experiencing any of them. Uh, If the patient is taking more than one medication or even natural health products, we check to make sure that there's no interactions between them and it's safe for them to take. We also practice evidence-based medicine. Uh, This is looking at if a prescribed medication is necessary, uh, if the dose and the regimen that was prescribed is effective, and if the medication is safe for the patient. So many times I've come across prescribed medications that are either ineffective at the current dose or regimen or just plain not safe. In in those instances, I had to either adapt the prescription or contact the prescriber for more information and request a change when it was appropriate. That's right. I rarely get a diagnosis on a prescription. I don't have access to your blood work in this province. Yet, I have to assess if the drug therapy is appropriate, necessary, effective for you. So imagine solving this puzzle with all these missing pieces. It's tough, but okay, let's move on. (laughs) So some pharmacists, on the other hand, um, they can provide specialized care in the form of clinical services. So that's actually me, where I currently provide migraine and diabetes consultations. So this is where I have a one-on-one with the patient and provide them with education on their current disease, 
provide them with information about non-drug measures, and I try and optimize their drug therapy to improve their condition. I then send off a summary of the consult with my recommendation to their family physicians or specialists. So I definitely believe that these types of clinical services are the way of the future, uh, especially for community of pharmacists, as they have shown to help improve public health. A good example of this is a study that was done in Alberta, Canada. Uh, in the study, they looked at patients with high blood pressure. Um, they randomized patients into two groups. One received care by the pharmacist only, where they received things like assessment of their blood pressure, cardiovascular risk, education, monitoring of blood pressure, and yes, prescribing of antihypertensive medications by the pharmacist. The other group received a wallet card uh, for blood pressure recording, written hypertension information, and the usual care from their pharmacist and physician. What this study found was that the, between the groups is that when the pharmacist prescribed the medications, they saw a mean blood pressure reduction uh, uh, at six months of 18.3 plus or minus 1.2 compared to 11.8 plus or minus 1.9 millimeter mercury. So it is a significant reduction. Um, and the authors do conclude that when pharmacists prescribe for patients with hypertensions, it did result in a clinical and statistically significant reduction uh, in blood pressure. And they do suggest the policymakers that pharmacists should have an extended role prescribing included. All right. So some other efforts that pharmacists get into that are public health related. Uh, we uh, Tuskia did mention the vaccination, routine vaccination. So pharmacists in BC can actually prescribe and administer routine vaccinations for patients over the age of five if that vaccination is intramuscular, meaning into the muscle. And over the age of two, if the vaccine is administered intranasal or via the nose. Uh, this past season alone, pharmacists in BC have done more than a million flu shots. Crazy. Yeah. Good job, you guys. Yeah, definitely. It was, a, it was a really good stat. And thanks to everyone who came out to get their flu shots. Good job. That too. Public health. Yes. <laughs> Uh, other vaccines that pharmacists can prescribe and administer include, like, there's a huge list of them, diphtheria, pertussis, tetanus, measles, mumps, rubella, shingles, pneumonia, and I could go on. With additional training through the International Society of Travel Medicine, uh, certain pharmacists can run travel vaccination clinics. Uh, such clinics offer destination-specific consultations, immunizations, and travel supplies. So if you're unsure if it's a good idea to be vaccinated against something um, or infection such as yellow fever, cholera, Japanese encephalitis, rabies, or even traveler's diarrhea, uh, it's a good place to start. Uh, the next topic that I want to touch on is usually applicable to this time of year, uh, smoking cessation. So smoking kills more people in British Columbia than all other drugs, motor vehicle collisions, murder, suicide, and HIV AIDS combined. Uh, as such, it makes sense that smoking be a major focus of public health initiatives. Uh, so in pharmacies in BC, there's a smoking cessation program, which can provide BC residents for up to 12 weeks of nicotine replacement therapy per year. You can do it multiple years in a row. Uh, products covered include patches, lozenges, gum, and inhalers. 
And additionally, if you have met your Pharmacare deductible, then prescription products such as Zyban or a generic of Champix can be covered. Ooh, interesting fact. Um, because I know pharmacists in Ontario, they actually have the right to prescribe Champix or Zyban. Really? Mm. That's yeah. cool. Uh, so in a 2015 survey administered through 811, which are currently our favorite phone number, uh, found yep. that yet 27% of the program's participants actually quit smoking after using the program. Uh, the 95% confidence interval here was uh, 25.2 to 28.4%. Uh, of those that didn't quit, 76% reported smoking less after using the program. Yeah, so if you are a BC resident who is thinking about trying to quit smoking this year as your New Year's resolution, talk to your local pharmacist. We're here to help. Another uh, program that pharmacists can help you with is BC's take-home naloxone program. So at this point, you've probably already heard about the opioid crisis. It's in the news a lot. So as opioid abuse increases, so does the death rate in Canada. In response, we are having to navigate ways of keeping our citizens safe. Naloxone is a drug that can actually reverse opioid overdose. It is available in injectable and as nasal spray form, through, though intranasal naloxone is not yet available to the general public in Canada. So what this drug does is that it binds to the same receptors in the brain as opioids. So when naloxone is given, it will kick the opioid off the receptor and takes its place, thus reversing the overdose. In August of 2012, BC's take-home naloxone program was introduced to reduce the harms and deaths that's associated with opioid overdose. The program teaches individuals who may witness an overdose how to respond and provide potentially life-saving care while waiting for paramedics to arrive. This public health measure aims to reduce the number of deaths caused by opioid overdose. The kits are available in certain local pharmacies. So just to give some numbers to give an idea of how this has worked, between August 2012, when the program was started, until the end of December 2018, 147,359 naloxone kits reported uh, being distributed across British Columbia. Of those, 40,903 naloxone kits were reported as used to actually reverse an overdose in British Columbia. So it just goes to show that, you know, having access to a kit like this um, in a society, in a world where right now opioid crisis is raging, can in fact make a difference in, you know, reducing harm and saving lives. So if that's mm-hmm. something that um, is something that you might be concerned about, again, inquire at your local pharmacies. They may be able to help. Another initiative that pharmacies do is take back expired drugs and sharps. When we take back expired or unwanted medications, this is to help promote safety and efficacy. Let me explain. Expired medications can no longer be as effective, which can prevent proper and timely treatment. For example, someone having a sudden asthma flare after three years may be in danger if their inhaler is expired and does not effectively help uh, open up their airways. In addition, pharmacies also take back sharps or needles for their proper disposal. These are objects that can be very dangerous otherwise to the general public. So again, if you do have any medications that are expired, if you have needles, don't just throw them out in the trash as usual bring them back to the pharmacy. We usually have a protocol on how we take them back. 
as an extra note there for the um, taking back the unwanted or expired medications, it also helps to protect the quality of the water supply. Oh, definitely. A lot of people will just flush their old meds, which can contaminate the water and you know, things dissolve. Of course, yeah. You don't want to flush things down. You don't want to put them in the trash. Just, yeah, talk to your local pharmacy uh, and uh, see what they're doing to take things back. So overall... There's a lot more to public health than just Dr. Bonnie Hendry in COVID. It is a complex, overarching system, standards that have significantly improved our lives. Thinking back to the examples of the industrial age, our standards of living, working, traveling, eating, etc. have all changed for the better. We are living longer, healthier lives. We touched on a few different initiatives that pharmacists are involved in, and you can expect us to go into more details on some of them in the future, so keep listening. So if you're interested in learning more about public health, we highly recommend that you check out the BCCDC, Government of BC, and Canada's website on public health. There were three sites that kept popping up again and again, and we'll link them in the episode descriptions. Well, there you have it, listeners. Hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Let us know what you thought. See you next time. Well, there you have it. It's been a lot of fun. Hope you were well caffeinated. Thank you for listening. And if you found this episode helpful, please share. For any feedback, please email us at pharmacyandcoffee at gmail.com. And remember, this podcast is intended for educational purposes. For any personalized medical advice, please see your pharmacist. And for my community pharmacists out there, you have the skills and the knowledge to make a difference. So don't be a pill barista. 